Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way, our Southridge member podcast, giving us the inside scoops on uh, everything related to the life of our church. Uh, this week, uh, I'm excited to have uh, another special guest, great leader around here named Brendan Nicholson. Brendan, say hi to everybody. Well, hello, everyone. Uh just to orient all of us across all of our locations to you and your life and family, give us a bit of your background. It would be my pleasure. Uh, you know, I don't tell everybody this, but I actually grew up in the lovely Oshawa, Ontario, <laughs> uh, but re- relocated to St. Catharines in, uh, I think it was about 2007. Uh, I met my wife, Taryn, while we were both at Bible school in Cambridge. And uh, when she moved home to St. Catharines, I conveniently, conveniently uh, took up an interest in a program at Niagara College and, and followed her here. <laughs> so we've been married for about uh, almost 11 years now and have two and two-thirds kids. We've got one who's seven, one who's five, and then one due in July. Two and two-thirds, the perfect amount. Don't they yeah, say you're supposed to have think, 2.4 yeah. kids? We're very And the average. white picket fence and the dog, you know. All those things we've So got, yeah. you've just exceeded 2.4 kids. That's great. Um, hey, the, the role that you're in, which is ultimately what we want to talk about today, um, was not your first foray on staff. You floated around in a few different roles. So give us a little bit of your work history around here and how you ended up in the role that you're currently in. Yeah. Um, well, actually, I, I studied uh, hospitality um, when I was at Niagara College and, and my career trajectory was uh, it was in the hotel industry. Um, at that time, I was, I was, we were newly married and uh, starting a family and, and just started to feel a bit discontent, I guess. And uh, I actually remember the moment when I was sitting in the auditorium in St. Catharines here, um, it was a, during a service, thinking, yeah, I think I could work here someday. And I didn't know, you know what capacity I would work in or, or, or what that would even look like, but I had that thought. And um, it just so happened that one of the guys in my life group was on staff here and I was working uh, in the shelter and just encouraged me to, to take up a volunteer role uh, in the shelter. So I did that and lasted about two weeks before uh, a role became available. And uh, so I promptly applied for that role. That was the on-ramping back in that era, right? That's how it happened. The, the two-week yeah. promotional That's window. Right. <laughs> well, you know, we came, uh, we started attending uh, regularly on Sunday mornings and did that for a while without uh, kind of really going any deeper. But when we took the the risk, I guess it was, to to go out to a Lifeline event and then plug into a life group, that really is what uh, what kind of got us got us rolling. It eventually uh, ended up with uh, with me working here. Um, so you started in the shelter. Yeah. That was your first That's uh, right. I, kick at the can. I had just, just come up from a, a shift at the Sheraton where I was working. So I had my suit on and I showed up and I said, hey, I'm here about the job. And <laughs> despite that, <laughs> I still managed to, uh, to actually start working as a, as a resident service manager in the shelter. Uh, after that, I did uh, a brief stint as the kids pastor. We can get into that as much as you want. And uh, oversaw, uh, following that, oversaw volunteers and uh, community life at the shelter uh, before settling into my, my current position where I'm the program director for the Southridge Jam Company. Yes. Yeah, so you're running the jam company today after starting in the shelter, a brief stint as the kids pastor. How long was that? couple of years? It was a couple of years, yeah. Which is like 14 years in That's right. dog years. Kids ministry years are, kids are ministry. different, yeah. And then you were back in the shelter uh, before this role kind of grew out of the shelter. Uh, and so if, if you could just give us a, 
a, a bit of a description on what your job is today in running this jam company. We're going to spend our, our conversation today orienting people to what this jam company is and how it works. So what what is your job entail, first things first? Well, my job doesn't look that much different than any other high-powered CEO. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> which is what it says on on the door of the Jam That's Company right. office, right? I this can't is the remember. World headquarters yeah, yeah. and the office of the CEO. I don't know who put that there, but uh, it's there. Uh, actually, so w- like with any other small business, there are a number of different components to uh, to the work that I have to do on a daily basis. So that's everything from finance to sales and marketing to uh, production oversight and distribution. Uh, but where the Jam Company differs from other small businesses is in um, the development of our program participants or our Jam Makers uh, as they work toward future employment uh, or volunteer opportunities or whatever is the next step for them. Yeah, so there's just there's the business side and then there's the people development ministry side and they kind of integrate together uh, into this thing called the Jam Company. And that's really what we want to camp out on uh, today uh, in what I know is going to be really cool conversation. Um, just to start at the very, very beginning, from your perspective or your recounting of history, where did the idea of a local church having a jam company come from? Well, as you discussed with uh, with Annie Froze a few weeks ago, the shelter's been around for about 14 years. Yeah. I think it's the anniversary is something like this week. Or yeah. Very, very close to now, um, or when we're recording this. Uh, I guess it was uh, around the nine or the ten year mark um, where we started to feel this uh, this need for like a next step opportunity uh, for our former residents who had moved on uh, from the shelter, uh, who had you know gained some momentum for themselves in in that process, um, and were just becoming housed and and, and reengaged in in you know quote normal life, um, but we're still looking for opportunities to continue to either develop personally. Or, or just stay engaged with, with community. It's- yeah, there was a certain kind of person, I remember, um, you know, because some people kind of graduate out of the shelter and then you don't see them anymore because they've moved on or some who uh, graduate out of the shelter and then they re-engage in providing their own volunteerism and support, kind of recycling themselves into the shelter. There was a specific kind of bandwidth of person or kind of person who was in a set of circumstances where they'd moved on, uh, but still it seemed like required a certain kind of support That's that right. we weren't set up to provide. Yeah, it's, it's a really vulnerable time for folks uh, after they moved out of this, this period of time living in intense community and at the same time intense support um, to being uh, in your apartment on your own. And uh, so for those people, we're trying to provide an opportunity um, for them to continue that po- positive momentum and, uh, and, and, and keep, keep engaging with the community here. So, so to provide them with that positive momentum, where did the idea of, you know what I think would, would provide them positive momentum? Making jam. <laughs> uh, connect those dots for Yeah. Me. Well, the idea of social enterprise had been kicking around for a while. Because um, at the time, the, the action team, the action department was led by, by Tim Arnold, a very you know, entrepreneurship-minded yep. fellow. Yep. Uh, and our shelter kitchen was being overseen by Cam Block, uh, a Red Seal chef. And so, you know, you we'll get those two guys. also some entrepreneurial spirit oh, to yeah, him, too. that's right. You get those two guys in the same space for, for too long, and, and a business is being born, for sure. 
And uh, so kind of considering the, the, the challenge that was in front of us, uh, having these two guys at the table, um, they tossed around a, a bunch of different ideas about um, a, a business that would have like a dual bottom line. So creating a source of, of revenue for the shelter, you know, being a successful business and making money, but also providing a point of engagement and uh, development for our, our former residents and uh, subsequently some very meaningful volunteer opportunities as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 different um, than a business that has like a secondary purpose of, uh, you know, being socially responsible. Like, you know, if you're adding on a couple bucks to your order as you're checking out at the grocery store, uh, you know, this this idea, the social enterprise um, was uh, would, would have two equally important uh, bottom lines. So they- yeah, which is important for us to, to appreciate because I don't know how many of us as members are familiar with the concept of social enterprise. So social enterprise is not just a for-profit business that is charitable or you know gives a portion of their proceeds to a charity or to a, a mission. There are such businesses. Uh, and it's also, on the other side, it's also not a not-for-profit that primarily exists for social purposes whether it makes a profitable bottom line or requires the funding and support of others, right? That's exactly. often yeah. requires the the donations and, and kind of added support. This is something that is both financially viable and embedded into how it functions has a social objective. And that's kind of the middle ground of social enterprise where we've tried to live with the jam company. And I mean, you also alluded not just to Tim, but to Cam, who from his kind of shelter kitchen director role and the Red Seal chef background really had food preparation as a way of including and developing people. That was really, I feel, at least from my perspective, where the jam making idea or a food preparation idea was coming from. That's right. I know that there was other food preparation ideas on the table. Yeah. Uh, Jam company was just kind of one of them. And, you know, all of a sudden, from my recollection, that turned into a very last minute at, at, at some level, a very last minute grant application yeah. to Trillium. Talk about that a little bit, because that was certainly part yeah. of it too. Yeah, well, they they had, you know, they, like you said, they talked talked about a bunch of different ideas, you know, bread making or whatever it was. Um, but because of the connections that were able to be established uh, with some of the farms in Vineland through our Vineland anchor cause, uh, jam making became a really natural uh, natural place to land. The the relationships with the farmers and the the availability of fruit just made that a, a, a natural a natural spot what kind of expedited the process of uh, of getting the the business together um, was this trillium application so we uh, we learned that you know some of the the guidelines were about to change and and so we got our application in right away so that we could make sure to uh, to take advantage of the funding that was available so we were actually able to get uh, quite a sizable grant that would allow us to uh, to completely renovate the kitchen in our, our Vineland facility, specifically with uh, this commercial kitchen jam production enterprise in mind. Yeah, I remember from our end, we, we had kind of nurtured this relationship with Trillium to kind of learn about how these grants work with an eye one day on making a grant application. And not really sure for what, but just kind of learning the ropes of how uh, Trillium Grants work so that one day, you know, we could make this great proposal. And then, like you said, being informed that the 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 parameters were changing. And I remember someone had shared with us, if you if you want to apply, like, 
now is the time. Get in now, and yeah. so now we kind of had to retrofit, okay, for what would we apply? And that really expedited the, hey, if this if this food preparation window of social enterprise is a possibility, and in Vineland, we have this relationship with another anchor cause to our migrant worker farms and to the farmers who could potentially provide fruit for this sort of thing to make jam, you know, let's make a pitch and try to try to apply for a, a, a jam making social enterprise. And so this grant included, like you said, the shelter renovate or the, the uh, kitchen renovation, but also some front end supplies for the first year or That's so right. of, of overhead. And lo and behold, we got the grant. They said so yes. Their yes really was what answered the what social enterprise we would get into, or more accurately, how we would meet this need that we were trying to meet. There were a bunch of ideas on the table. And because of this retrofitting of this grant application and the green light that that provided, it really kind of gave us some guidance. You always wonder how God's guiding you in these ways. Uh, that was really the narrative of, of how we were guided into uh, what today is the making of jam as one of the ways in social enterprise that we would uh, be trying to contribute to developing this group of people. And so here we are today with the president of the Jam Co or Southridge <laughs> Jam Company, uh, given the cool way that God had worked. And I hope for those of us who are members, you know, we can just celebrate the really sovereign and divine way that God kind of orchestrated that because none of us woke up one day and said, I think we should have a jam company. It just kind of evolved one step after the other in a way that you and I can look back and say, hey, kind of only God would would have that kind of creativity. Right. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, most of us, including uh, myself to some degree, most of us are not familiar with the mechanics of how this jam company as a dual bottom line social enterprise works. So as El Presidente, uh, walk us through just the mechanics of what making jam involves. Sure. Well, it all starts with our, our primary jam makers. And so those are folks who, um, who have had that experience with homelessness that brought them to the shelter. And uh, through com conversations with their coaches, so everyone, every resident at the, the shelter is connected with a coach to help them, you know, guide them toward whatever the next step is to access yeah, Which is services. a whole department of our shelter ministry. That's, That's right. a different conversation. But we have coaches who help support people in their next steps. That's right. And so they're they're kind of the gateway to the to the jam company. They're suggesting um, to, to some of our residents as they are about to transition out onto their own, um, encouraging them to, to be involved. And so we ask our participants participants um, who are looking to maybe gain some job skills, some life skills um, with an eye to returning to work, or who are simply looking for something meaningful uh, to engage in or to keep them engaged, uh, to, to make a commitment to us to be involved for two sessions per week for six weeks. Um, so trying to make it a, a really manageable um, set time period. And uh, on Wednesdays, we meet here at the shelter and uh, we carpool out to the Vineland location for a production shift. And all the kitchen operations uh, are overseen by our current staff culinary whiz, uh, Alicia Ha. And she instructs and equips the team uh, to produce between 150 and 300 jars of jam uh, per shift. So how many people carpool out to be part of one jam-making shift? 
So the the team is made up of a combination of our, our participants, uh, you know, our form, former residents. That's yeah. right, uh, and then uh, and some additional volunteers as well. So coming from here, we usually have uh, a couple of vehicles, um, six or eight folks who are coming, and then another three or four who are meeting us in the kitchen. So in this Vineland kitchen, there's a dozen people working at a time. That's right. Okay. Yeah, in the kitchen, and then there's a separate team of uh, of volunteers who are uh, working in the adjacent room, labeling jars. Okay, who yeah. are who are kind of doing some of the infrastructure prep that's right and follow-up that's for the right. actual jam making so yep. so we select these these participants the jam makers through the relationships that we have with our coaches who are a part of our shelter that support people in their next steps and as we and prospective par- participants discern that that's a suitable next step for them we include them in these six-week cohorts of twice a week making jam. That's so right. I show up, I get carpooled out to Vineland and I start making jam because Alicia is out there guiding the process. What are some of the things that I'm doing there? Yeah, they uh, Alicia is guiding everyone through uh, a pretty set process. We make a few different varieties of jam. The, the process is pretty much the same for, for each variety, uh, but it all starts with processing the fruit. Um, so we want to make sure we have you know uniform size, all about the mouthfeel, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we process the fruit. Um, I hate to burst the bubble here, but we have to add some sugar too. Sugar is part of jam. Uh, then that, uh, that uh, mixture gets cooked and and then uh, hand jarred, uh, and then uh, the following week is when the labeling happens. And so there are technical elements to that. There's lots of chemistry involved. And uh, if you were to, to stop any one of our jam makers in the hallway here, they would walk you through uh, all the, the different uh, stages of the process and, and what goes into making the perfect jar of jam. And in that, in that six-week commitment, are they making multiple flavors or kinds, or does, does a person participate basically in one harvest season and then we get a new crop of participants for a new uh, flavor of jam that we're producing. That's how things started. Uh, so in our first year, we made about 3,500 jars of jam, and, and that's how it worked. We kind of had a different uh, batch of folks for each fruit that we had available. We were making uh, strawberry, peach, and grape, and so they would participate you know, for, for six yeah, or eight different weeks. Cohort different for cohort, each, different fruit. For each that's harvest right. season and each jam flavor. Each subsequent year, though, we've, uh, we've grown, and uh, we've been producing more and changing some of our methods, and so now some of the fruit that we have is actually available through one of our partners, Frozen. And so we are able to produce uh, a couple of different varieties uh, year round. And so we're not so dependent on the fresh fruit. Uh, and then for the other varieties, we are. And so, yeah, you could be involved for six weeks and be making a couple of different kinds of jam, uh, all kind of following the same process. Okay, so it depends. Now, I could be in a six week cohort and make one kind. I could be in the winter and making only one of the kinds where the frozen fruit is available. That's right. Uh, I could be in a season in the spring or summer where there are actually multiple kinds that we're kind of uh, rotating through and it it just depends. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Um, While I'm there, if I'm a jam maker, um, outside of being put to work, uh, because this is a social enterprise, what kind of other investments are being made into me? 
there are uh, there are, there are lots of things kind of going on behind the scenes as well. So that starts with the with the onboarding process. So after you're referred by your coach, the first stage is we actually take you through uh, a bit of a, a a bit of a survey or um, a tool that will help you determine what your goals are for your six your six weeks. Um, we you know make some suggestions and uh, but ultimately allow the participant to to set the goals uh, for themselves. So for some folks that's going to look like um, you know tidy up a resume and uh, getting a, a reference letter and, and moving on to employment. Uh, for other folks, it's uh, a matter of having having a, a good full schedule and and things that are going to you know help them to get up out of bed in the morning. And so they're going to work toward those goals uh, throughout their involvement. So on Wednesdays, we're in the kitchen, we're making jam. Uh, every jam maker is gaining some of the technical skills that are required uh, to actually to make the product. Uh, on Thursdays, though, when we're back here, uh, so on Thursday mornings, we get together here at the St. Catherine's location. And that's when we're spending some time uh, initially uh, just reflecting on the experience that we've had. Uh, so we've got these, we've got these five, uh, what we call core competencies. Um, so those are the, those are the things that uh, any, any development in, in these five core competencies is going to uh, allow us to be thriving uh, humans, uh, but also to make us great employees. And so those are time management, uh, communication, teamwork, flexibility and adaptability uh, and conflict management. So each week when we get together on Thursday, uh, we have a bit of conversation around one of those five core competencies. These are things that uh, by nature of just working together in a team, we're developing. New experience. Yeah, That's right. Absolutely. We, we want to make sure that we don't miss out uh, on realizing that we've actually had that experience. So we start, start Thursday sessions uh, with a conversation uh, around that development. And then as our participants uh, go through the six weeks, there are routine times where we will pause and we'll do a quick assessment. Um, so the, the participant will, will assess themselves to see how they're tracking along with those five core competencies. And then Alicia or I, as, as the supervisor, would also provide uh, an assessment at that time. So we do that a couple of times throughout. So by the end, uh, the person can see uh, how, they, how they were when they started, you know, where they ranked themselves on a one to five scale, yeah. uh, and how they've developed over time, and then what, uh, what's still outstanding uh, that they can continue to work on as they, as they move forward. Yeah, so I, I hope for our members we're getting a sense of the, the, the people development intensiveness of this social enterprise. This is really the investment. I appreciate you outlining those five core competencies. This is really what the jam company delivers, right? right. It really doesn't deliver jam. It delivers people development, particularly in these five kind of life and life skill, if not work attribute uh, kinds of ways. And so we're growing people in these ways. And frankly, inviting people to be invested in, in these five ways, as much or more as we're inviting people to be part of a jam making process and to learn the harder skills of jam making. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You nailed it. Which is great. Um, on the, on the other side, then on the, on the jam making side, once we've kind of produced this and it's in the label jar and all that, like what happens to this? Where does this stuff sell other than in our lobbies at Christmas for some of us who are part of the church community? 
That's right. Well, we've got a number of different uh, channels that uh, that we're selling through. Uh, one of them is our uh, website. So we're at you know, southridgedam.com where you can go and you can see some of the elements of uh, why we do what we do and, and who we are. But you can also uh, click the Buy Now button and, and buy some jam there. As you mentioned, we're often in uh, Southridge lobbies, uh, whether it's around special events or, or, or just throughout the year. Uh, we're at some markets uh, locally. And uh, and then we sell through a number of different uh, resell uh, resellers um, partners, um, different uh, retailers throughout the the region. And so those resellers or those retailers are you know, wineries or boutiques. Or I heard recently that we're on the shelves of a grocery store. That's right. Uh, so can mm-hmm. you talk about this? Yeah, um, we yeah there are there are a couple of wineries. Um, there are a couple of uh, kind of higher end shops and um, yeah, gift shop type places. But then recently, uh, one of our one of our um, attendees here at the the, the St. Catharines location said, "Hey, uh, I don't know if you know this, but but I have a grocery store in Niagara on the Lake, uh, and I already created four feet of shelf space, and we'd love to have your jam on the shelf." Absolutely. That's yeah, great. Not only do they sell this now in Niagara Lake in the grocery store, but they've become kind of a consultant and advisor exactly. in the the marketing and kind of the business model uh, side of the jam company in order for us to continue to develop the sales and really the exposure of the story right. uh, behind this, mm-hmm. uh, because it's not just about the, the jam. You guys talk about, you know, uh, what is it? Good jam, great story. <laughs> kind of a, that's right. That's, yeah. that's the tagline yeah, because well, of the people development exactly. objectives of it. Yep. Um, you mentioned earlier that in the, in the first years, you know, first couple of years, uh, you mentioned production of like 35, you said 3,500 jars of jam. Um, talk about the, the, the growth of this thing as a social enterprise uh, on the jam making side. How has that grown and developed? We've seen growth every year, uh, year over year. We've looked uh, looked to improve uh, our efficiency and uh, and basically our, our output. And so into our fourth season now, uh, we are targeting uh, making about twelve thousand jars this year. Yeah, wow. And so yeah, every year uh, looking to to. Um, to, to improve and to grow, um, working toward what we're calling just our optimum scale, just determining where that that sweet spot is, where we can make sure to uh, you know, prioritize the the outcome of developing people, uh, and so making sure that we're maintaining the the healthy environment, uh, not a, not providing a, a high stress you know hell's kitchen kind of environment yeah, yeah. Uh, for our, our, our people, um, but also doing our best to be as productive as we can. And uh, at the same time, of course, uh, developing the market that's out there to uh, to make sure that if we can produce 12,000 jars, that we can also sell those jars. And similarly on the people side, so we've gone from, you know, three, three and a half thousand jars of jam per year in production. Now we're aspiring to 12,000 jars of jam. Are, are, is that kind of production on the backs of the same number or quantity of people? Or how has the people development side expanded? Can you comment on those numbers too? Yeah. What's what's great about um, about the engagement of, of folks in the program is that at the end of six weeks, you know, we provide each each participant with a, with a stipend to say, hey, thanks for your participation. Uh, and then an invitation to say, um, you know, maybe you're moving on to what's next and that's great, but know that you're always welcome to continue 
continue on as a volunteer. And so for lots of our folks, uh, they have decided to do just that. There are a few in our current number who have been involved in just about every jam making session we've ever done. And so a lot of them still choose to stick around and uh, and some folks uh, move on to what's next and then we've got a, uh, we're always kind of keeping our eyes open to to the recruitment uh, of new potential participants so of the the six or eight folks that are that are coming out on a weekly basis many of those are consistent and a lot of those are new yeah so it 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 expands in the numbers of people that join these six week cohorts it expands in the sense that some continue on in other six-week cohorts, but other six-week cohorts provide the opportunity or the space to add more people. So in a year, uh, you know, about how many people does, you know, 10 or 12,000 jars of jam affect on the development side? How many, how many people would be involved in that ministry on an annual basis, do you think? Uh, for the last number of years, we've seen about 20 people uh, each year involved in, in some in way or total. another okay. uh, on a participant participant perspective. Very, very cool. And uh, final sort of logistics question, because we talk about the uh, the jam company, you know, being a, a essentially a for-profit social enterprise, not a non-for-profit ministry or business in that sense, a for-profit social enterprise that embeds the people development, but also makes a profit. Yet, in addition, the proceeds, that profit, would reinvest into homelessness. We know that at the beginning, when this was in its kind of startup phase, uh, it was going to require a lot more resourcing, and that's where that Trillium grant really helped at the, at the beginning. Um, how close are we to that equilibrium? Can you comment just on the, the, for those of us interested in the business model of this, how close are we to, be able, to being able to reinvest into homelessness through the proceeds of our Jamco? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mentioned optimum scale, and that's what we're working toward, and we see ourselves reaching that scale, whatever it is, within the next two years. And um, when when that happens, we'll, we will be able to see a, a consistent profit each and every year. And uh, when we do reach that profitability, uh, every dollar that we generate will be uh, directly contributing to the programs and services that are offered by the shelter. So yeah, always looking for uh, for efficiencies and uh, and just considering where is that uh, that sweet spot as far as the, you know the number of, of jars that we're producing and uh, the channels through which we're distributing. Yeah. So for those of us uh, you know who are listening in that want to be able to tell this story better. Uh, you know, there's there's certainly some coolness about the divine way that God opened the door to this in the beginning. Um, there's some super coolness to the way that God uses this to develop people in the process of jam making. And then there's going to be extra coolness as this continues to grow and develop for the reinvestment into homeless programs and uh, our ministry in general. And just layer after layer, it, it actually, it, you know, for many of us, it's kind of an out of sight, out of mind thing. But th- this is a really cool work of God in our community that uh, certainly we wanted to give some attention here uh, to be able to celebrate across our locations among our membership as a whole. Because uh, at so many, in so many ways, uh, God's been at work. Uh, Brendan, to give us a real sense of the impact of this, because we're talking about the jam-making result on the people development side. Um, how has how have you seen the Jam Co. affect the jam makers? What kind of impact does it have? You know, we sh- we should have had a few of them join us here today. Uh, they they'd have some stories to tell. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm sure if any number of them were here, though, they would tell you um, about how important it is for for anyone, regardless of life circumstance, how important it is uh, just to have um, some meaning and some purpose in their lives. And for many of our folks, that's exactly what the Jam Company provides. 
um, we've we've done uh, interviews with our folks, and and um, a, a fellow named Thomas, I think, said it best. He said, you know, when we're when we're staying as residents at the shelter, we feel like we're we're receiving and we're taking, and um, people don't realize that that we want an opportunity to contribute as well, and and to help the next guy who's coming up behind us, who's having that similar experience that we've had, and so for a lot of our folks, that meaning and purpose in uh, in the work that they're doing with the Jam Company uh, is is very real. Um, for others, it's served as a stepping stone to what's next, to have you know, gone on to, uh, to employment, whether that was with a reference from us or, um, or by you know, connecting with other, other programs. And, and you've th- seen that, that the jam making has helped the resume and the life and work skills to the point where they become hireable. That's right. That's right. And we're continuing to see that and continuing to forge new uh, new partnerships with other um, community organizations uh, that are are doing the same kind of work or, or um, kind of the next stage of work, whether it's uh, you know working on interview skills or, or helping to to put resumes together that are actually connecting uh, our program graduates with those job opportunities or uh, or further education opportunities or you know whatever that. That next step is going to be for them. Uh, second group of people you mentioned, not just the jam makers, but other supporting volunteers. Uh, I'm assuming that some of those are becoming lifers as well because there's some impact right. in them. What are you What are you noticing in them? Yeah, we have uh, we have tons of people who are helping um, in in a, a whole bunch of different ways. You know, I mentioned we have about twenty people from a participant perspective involved per year. Uh, last year at our, our end of year celebration, I think we had thirty five plus people in the room um, celebrating their their contribution to the jam company. So we've got people who are in the kitchen who are actually helping with the jam making and labeling. Um, but then we also have uh, folks who are contributing to um, overseeing sales and to uh, directing communications and supporting our web presence and uh, you know uh, contributing to the establishment of, of new business development yeah, marketing strategy that's right that's right so there are folks involved in in every different aspect uh, of the business and um, I think a lot of our volunteers um, would would echo some of the sentiments of our participants and that it's just it's really rewarding to be part of something um, that is that is tangibly making a difference. And as with any volunteer role uh, around or connected to the shelter, um, the the relationships and the friendships and the the you know the conversations that uh, that can spark up and the way that we see our uh, residents or our, our participants um, and our volunteers supporting each other uh, is is amazing. Uh, in addition to these two people groups, the jam makers and the supportive volunteers. I feel like there's a third impact or a third benefit, and that is just the way that the Jamco and the the product and the story behind it helps our broader church community. Can you talk about that impact in addition to these other two and not just the recycling of financial resources into homelessness, but just the, the broader impact for our church? Well, you know, I don't know what the Niagara community thought about Southridge before the Jam Company came along, but they love us now. <laughs> <laughs> Just period. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but seriously, it's it's neat to talk to people when we're out at sales events or out at, at markets whose first introduction to Southridge Community Church was actually through the Jam Company. And uh, some of our, our customers uh, or our resellers and lots of other community organizations are being introduced to the, the amazing things that, that God is doing through the Southridge community um, at first through, uh, through a jar of jam or, or through uh, realizing that this, this social program uh, exists in the community. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's also uh, really neat 
Um, like, what other church do you show up for the first time and you don't have to put anything in the offering bag and you're going to re- receive a delicious jar of jam? Like, that, that yeah, experience it's one is kind of to cool have, too. Here's a chocolate bar or something That's right. that we bought. But, you know, I, I found that again and again when, when uh, a, a friend of mine or a new person that I've met in the auditorium lobby has been encouraged to go receive that new attender gift. Lots of churches have new attender gifts. That ours is a homegrown jar of jam that opens up the conversation for where did this come from? And they not only receive that gift, but they they can kind of encounter the story behind it. That story has for that first-time attender, like, tremendous potential and, frankly, reframes for them right at the get-go, reframes for them some of the uniqueness of what we're about as a church and the life that we're inviting people into. That's you right. Know, uh, yeah. the, the, I feel like from a brand perspective, when you think about the, the brand of Christianity, the brand of a church and in society being, you know, so distrusted and such a sense of judgmentalism or such a sense of hypocrisy or those kinds of themes, um, you know, when they, when they realize what the jam company is and that it, really is a church trying to practice what it preaches in making an investment in people and especially some of the most marginalized in our society. Uh, you know, the trust that it gains, the credibility, the integrity, the sense of welcome, the, all of a sudden those major brand issues, they start to melt away and it totally changes their impression of what a church and ultimately Jesus could be in their lives. That's right. I, I, yeah. I'm not, I don't want to overstate it, <laughs> but I've seen that happen in people who not through the th- free jar of jam, but through the story behind it, like it affects them to that degree. And so, you know, for those of us who, you know, might want to buy some jam for someone uh, as a Christmas present, that's great. Uh, let's appreciate the power of the story of the jam company and leverage the power of that story uh, to its greatest impact, not just the taste of the jam. That's right. Yeah, let alone the volunteer recruiting uh, power that it's got. I and mean, we've had a couple of our key volunteers who said, you know, I showed up week one, they gave me this jar of jam, I read the label, and I just had to get involved. Yeah. That's great. Very, very yeah. cool. I, I had a, a story just this morning, the, the, the morning that we're, we're taping this, I shared this with uh, Jen Schroeder and Nate Dirks were upstairs in a meeting uh, earlier today, but uh, I got a text from Jeff Mannion who has kind of guided all right. us all. He said, I woke up this morning with Southridge on my mind. And he sent me a picture of his kitchen counter with peach jam Beautiful. sitting on it. And uh, so this morning, Jeff Mannion was enjoying some of the peach jam and not just enjoying the taste of it, but but enjoying what that reminded him of in the uniqueness of our church and our missional heartbeat uh, to be difference makers in the part of the world where God's placed us. Very, very cool. Well, we'll have to explore international shipping uh, maybe maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe exactly. next year. Yeah. We're going to set up a, a Grand Rapids office <laughs> Sounds uh, good. in Jeff's church. Um, Brennan, I want to talk a little bit about the future of Jamco. And uh, this podcast is actually serving to help communicate an exciting announcement. So be the first one to... Uh, kind of announce this on our church's behalf because this is pretty cool. Well, Jeff, I'm glad that you brought that up. (laughs) And uh, listeners, if you're driving right now, might be best if you pull over. (laughs) If you're out for a walk or a run, you'd better stop because this is going to take your breath away. knock your heart out. That's right. It is my pleasure to announce that as of May the 1st, Southridge Jam Company is now selling sour cherry jam. 
sour cherry, a fourth fruit. That's right. We have now incorporated a fourth fruit, ladies and gentlemen, into our jam production. Not just strawberry, peach, and grape. We now have sour cherry. For those of you suggesting that we move into other markets, here we go. Uh, talk about where that even came from and, and uh, how that's going to work. Yeah, well, we do uh, we do a lot of uh, jam tasting. It's a tough job, but somebody has to do it. <laughs> uh, so we're do, doing a lot of tasting, a lot of market research, and uh, we listened to our our consumers, our customers, and uh, the the results were loud and clear that we needed to uh, to branch into something new. And you know, into our fourth season, we thought we felt like, hey, we've got this uh, these other three fruits and this kind of production um, rhythm down, and we can we can explore going into a, into a fourth fruit. And so through one of our uh, our existing suppliers, Cherry Lane, who has been uh, very, uh, very gracious in providing us with lots yeah, of one fruit. One of our core um, farms in our Vineland right. location partnership. Yeah, um, they uh, they are obviously a, a key cherry supplier in the region, and so they're able to uh, to to provide us um, some cherries, and they they keep them in their facility. They keep them frozen for us, so they're available whenever we need them. And so uh, we did some testing at the end of last year, and then uh, as of the beginning of, or actually the end of January this year, we started uh, bright and early on making cherry jam and we are ready to uh, to release it to our adoring public and it's and it's ready to go are are there are there other flavors that are on the short list that we could maybe look forward to in the future or jeff that information is privileged um <laughs> But, uh, but uh, since since we're talking to the members, that's right. And this is a, a confidential yep. in-house. We're not going to tell anybody. What I will say is, uh, is like I said before, we do listen to our customers. So if you have a favorite flavor of jam, um, share that with us. We'd, we'd love to hear that. We try to make jam with uh, with ingredients that we can find or fruits that we can find locally here. So consider that and, uh, and, and send us your suggestions. We'd love to hear it. Very good. Uh, other ways as we look to the future, where is this jam co headed? We're headed towards this scale you're talking That's about. Right. But... Uh, you know what are what are some other ways that you see things growing in the future? Yeah, the 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 future is bright. I I see uh, now tons of potential. Like like we said before, we're working toward this optimum scale. We're aiming to produce you know twelve thousand jars this year, and uh, at the same time, really trying to develop uh, the market throughout Niagara. Uh, obvious next step is is expanding beyond that. So uh, toward the end of last year, we introduced a shipping option on our website, getting a lot of uh, traction um, uh, from a, a CBC radio um, interview that we did yeah. and had some requests from the GTA. So we've got a, a shipping option available uh, and starting uh, starting this summer will be available in our first location outside of the Niagara region in, in Hamilton. And so we're going to continue to develop uh, de- develop those uh, those markets uh, further than than Niagara as well. Um, and when it comes to our people, you know, each season we we get better and better. We like to like to think at the development aspect of the program. Uh, a key part of that is collecting relevant data from our participants and uh, putting that into practice as well. So determining what's working well and, and what we can improve. Um, but I could see a future where we've established like a, a network of um, of supportive employers who are willing to take on our participants, our, our program grads, uh, and you know seeing more and more folks gaining or returning to that you know personal sustainability. Yeah, that the jam company becomes a pipeline for people into certain kinds of employment, which would be very cool. That's right. I mean, even you didn't talk about this yet, but the uh, even some of the cool corporate partners that we've been establishing so far. Uh, 
uh, probably my favorite is the Beachwood Donuts That's partnership right. that you established. Talk about this because this is we just did. fun. That was kind of a, a, a cold email on a whim. Um, Beachwood, you know, obviously they're well known in, in our region here. Uh, anyone who stops through, including the, the prime minister yeah. himself, uh, stops at Beachwood Donuts. And uh, they actually had uh, had reached out to the shelter uh, previously and uh, routinely donate dozens and dozens of donuts at the end of the night um, if they if they don't sell uh, to our, our shelter residents and so we knew that they were they were a, a company who cared about their community and really seemed like a no-brainer we sat down and had a meeting we kind of thought that we were were pitching ourselves and uh, they were they just course we're doing this. Uh, this is great. And so that, uh, that led to our jam being drizzled across the top of the, the PB and J donut, uh, for, uh, for a season with Beachwood donuts. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see where that partnership yep, can go. I had one, the PB and J, uh, donut at Beachwood donuts with the Southridge jam co grape jelly. Amazing. Just one. So good. Okay. Just one. All right. I've only ever had one. I promise. <laughs> um, Quickly, Brendan, if if uh, I'm listening to this and I'm into social enterprise or I'm into, you know, I've got business acumen or creativity or marketing ideas or, you know, this is triggering all kinds of thoughts, um, you know, who could I talk to? How could I get involved? What would my next steps be outside of just learning the story and the kind of the underbelly of how the jam company works? There are lots of ways uh, to get involved, and we're always looking for uh, for people to to engage with us, and not just making jam in the kitchen. Uh, recognize that not everyone has the the free time in the middle of the day on a Wednesday or a Thursday to to help with that part of the the process. But if you are you know that business minded person, or you've got experience in you know retail or manufacturing, or or uh, even if just by listening to some of what we've talked about today, you felt that little spark of excitement, we would love to to talk to you, even if we don't. Even if you don't know exactly how you could be involved, um, we'd we'd love to talk to you about that and see if there's there's not a way that we can get you engaged with the Jam Company. Uh, heaven knows we can use um, all of the the, the business kind of acumen and the and uh, and knowledge that we can we can get uh, from our, our supporting community here. Um, even if you're someone who's got a car and wouldn't mind you know helping people to carpool out to to Vineland or, or from Vineland back at the end of the day, uh, there's lots of different ways that you can be involved. Um, in addition to, of course, buying some jam. <laughs> good, good, good pitch. Um, speaking of pitches, Brendan, um, we as a church are going to make jam sales uh, available for people, especially with the launch of Sour Cherry. Uh, can you talk about how we could purchase that jam? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said before, you can find us online. Uh, to southridgejam.com. Uh, we'll be at all three locations, though, this coming Sunday. So Mother's Day Sunday, uh, we will be uh, available at, at each of the three locations. We've got these special Mother's Day gift boxes prepared. So if you are one of those last-minute shoppers, um, right on Sunday morning on your way out, you can pick up a great gift for your mom. And uh, we're, we're working toward being available uh, at uh, each location every Sunday so that whenever you need to restock your pantry, we'll be available. So uh, keep your eyes open for that, too. I don't even want to dare ask this, but I will just for completeness. Are there talks of other social enterprises on the horizon? <laughs> or if I'm listening to this and I'm creative and I've got an idea, like what is the potential for our church to get into social enterprise in general to a greater degree, not just in jam making? 
Well, well, who knows, right? I think you've heard about uh, our plans and the, the walls that I'd like to knock down and the dreams that we have of uh, you know impacting the community in, in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, so maybe maybe what I'll say about that at this point is, is stay tuned. And in the same way that uh, we'd love to hear about your, your favorite jam flavors, uh, we, we'd love to have you engaged in those conversations as well. So, yeah, let's, let's keep that conversation yeah, going. Yeah, there were lots of ideas of social enterprises we could get involved in that weren't jam making. That's right. So if this is your thing, gang, and uh, you're curious to get involved in a conversation about ways in which we could develop people in these profitable reinvest into ministry kind of ways, uh, we certainly have proven that we've got the stomach to to try and uh, would love to see where this goes in the future. So, uh, Brennan, thanks so much for being here. Uh, gang, thanks for uh, kind of tuning in again. And I hope that you're inspired by the way that this Southridge Jam Company doesn't just give us something to buy people as a token Christmas present. Uh, this literally and metaphorically, uh, helps us in spreading hope all across the Niagara region uh, to uh, not just the participants, the jam makers, but in the way that it changes the brand of our church and ultimately of the Jesus that we collectively follow. So uh, be encouraged in what you do, Brendan. Thanks so much for sharing with us today. And uh, thanks for joining us for uh, another edition of Finding Our Way. We'll see you again next week. Take care.